here in the church that I need to get my sermon out of the way quickly so that we can uh, have enough time to hunt for Easter eggs. Is that all right? Yeah, as Christine said, not to waffle. Um, she doesn't say that all the time, just on, just on Sunday morning she says that. Well, actually, other times she says to stop talking completely. Uh, anyhow, she, uh, it's not true. Well, no. I, actually, I was told to shut up about 15 times yesterday, not by Christine, but by Colleen, Auntie Colleen. We, uh, it was a great occasion yesterday. We had a wedding, and we had a wedding, and I was, me and Duncan were just hanging out. We were just standing there, basically, eh? Duncan and I. And uh, there was toast. Tell me if you know weddings and toasts are a great thing. But it can be a real hassle going and getting another drink. Do you know? Anyone find that? Like, you got there's a crowd. You have to walk over there. Um, and so me and Duncan came up with an ingenious solution. You just pretend you have a drink. And then you, then you can, obviously, you can clink the glasses more elaborately if they just pretend. And then after you finish the toast, you can throw the glass on the floor because it's just pretend. Uh, and I was told to stop doing that by Auntie Colleen. So anyhow anyhow. Very good. Well, we are in the middle of a series of messages which sort of culminates this week in, um, in Easter Sunday, and we're talking about love. Uh, how many of you know that if, there, if it wasn't for love, there'd be no songs on the radio? Uh, if, it wasn't, if it wasn't for love, there'd be less people in the world, uh, right? If it's not for love, you know, if it wasn't for love, there'd be, there probably would still be lots of babies, but there wouldn't be many people growing into adulthood. Uh, love is actually this powerful force uh, in human existence and in families and in society. Um, and the Bible actually talks a lot about love. You know, the Bible talks almost as much about love as any other thing. It, 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 it's really the whole central focus of the story of the Bible. There are distracting things where you sort of forget that it's about love. Uh, there's my Friday Easter picture. Johnny, can you jump up? The, the PowerPoint, I can't control it from here. The PowerPoint at the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyhow, we, we do have some audiovisual problems this morning because normally the guys would be at the back of the room, but we had a problem with one of the cables. So they're doing the words from behind the screen, which is magical, isn't it? Except the trick is this. You can't hear, like the music coming out of these speakers, you can't hear that back there. So they're trying to change the song. You might, I don't know if you noticed this or not. I certainly did. Uh, they're trying to change the song, but they don't know where we're up to. Okay, here we go. Okay, I think I can go. Go If we could start from the start. Yay. Love. Smooth, eh? Smooth. Yeah, yeah. People often talk about my technical brilliance. Uh, anyway, love. Yeah, our series has been about love. And, 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 and I don't know, if, if we're following Jesus, one of the things about following Jesus, the Bible talks all the time about, is it talks about things like that, uh, that we grow into the character of Christ. Have everyone heard that one? We grow into the character of Christ. And, and Christians will talk about things like being Christ-like. Have you heard about that? Like, oh, we should be Christ-like. Uh, and more than anything, when we talk about growing into the character of Christ, more than anything, we're talking about this idea of love. That actually one of the, the defining characteristic of Jesus Christ, the defining focus of God into the world is a focus of love, right? And, and, and this morning we're talking about sacrificial love. We talked about, you know, love can be a tender thing. Also, love can be a tough thing, right? We know if you've been married long, you know that love can be tough as well. We, we got it. We, we, if we're gonna be, if we're gonna love people, we have to be honest enough to speak the truth to people, right? People are yeah less excited about that than uh, Easter eggs. But the reality is that 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 love is this powerful force. But it's not just 
Love's not just romantic. It, it, it's, it's powerful. It's strong. Love's full of commitment. And this morning, we're going to talk about the fact that it's actually full of sacrifice as well. That love is full of sacrifice. I don't know. Um, one of the highlights of the year um, in Wellington. Oh, man. my! I'm, if I find this guy Logitech one day on the street, I'm going to kill him. Literally. Ah. Any, yeah. Does anyone know where he lives, Logi? Anyway, anyway, we'll see how we go. I'll just tell you when to change it back there. Yes. Okay. Sacrificial love, right? Uh, one of the big highlights in Wellington every year is Anzac Day. Has anyone got up early on Anzac Day and gone down to, you know, here at the Cenotaph or here at the Carillion or down in the Cenotaph? Anyone done that? Show of hands. It's pretty awesome, right? My favorite bit is when they fire the cannon. The rest of it, I can't re- you can't really hear or see what's going on. But when they fire the cannon, everyone knows what happened, right? It's awesome, right? But, you know, um, I don't know, uh, Anthony Hawes, who's at church here, is he here? Is Anthony here? Uh, yeah, yeah. There's some photo areas at the back. It's the biggest church service in New Zealand, and Anthony's in charge of it. And uh, the, in the one of the Krillian, I don't know if you saw the photograph. I think James, a friend of mine, actually posted a photograph that they took from the top of the Krillian. And it's tens and tens of thousands of people all across that new park there, all there for the Anzac service. And it's pretty amazing, isn't it? And I was thinking about it. You know, the, the amazing thing about Anzac is we're not, we're not celebrating war heroes. Hero, how many people know heroes are awesome, right? I, I love heroes. I, you know, I love watching Bowden Barrett play rugby because he plays like a hero. Do you know what I mean? Like he wins the game and he does stuff like that, you know? But, and heroes are awesome. But I don't think we don't really get out of bed at 5 a.m. for heroes. But sacrifice moves us. When we think about Anzac, when we think about the Anzac, we're not thinking about heroes, although we've made them heroes. But they, it wasn't their heroic victory that we celebrate. We're actually celebrating the fact that they were prepared to sacrifice for something that they loved. They were prepared to, to lay down their, their life for what they felt was the right thing to do for, for us as a nation. And I think we've got to understand sacrifice is a powerful, powerful thing. I've, I really believe that people who sacrifice are remembered for longer and have a greater impact than those who are just heroes. Do you want to jump to the next screen? The, it says in the Bible this. In John 3.16, it says this, for this is how God loved the world. And happen to know that, that love is always, love's always a feeling or an emotion until something happens and then it becomes real. And this is how God loved the world is that He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. So God loved the world. To love it in this sense is He cared about where the world was at. He loved the world. He, 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 was, he cared about the well-being of the whole world. And so he gave and he sacrificed. The, the challenge that you'll find in life and the challenge that I've found in life is that you can't care about somebody else's well-being for very long before it costs you something. You could write about on Facebook about certain things happening politically around the world. You could feel really sad for things happening in the neighborhood or in the, in the people around. The, but, but if you really care about somebody else's well-being, at some point you're going to have to give something into that space. It will capture your heart. That's why you have to be very careful about what newspaper articles you read. 
You have to be careful about getting involved in other people's lives because once something captures your heart, it's going to cost you. It really will cost you. Once you start worrying about what's happening for young people in New Zealand, it's going to cost you. Once you start caring about others in church and how are they getting to church and how are they getting along, it's actually going to cost you. It's going to cost you some time. If, if, if you're going to have a conversation that goes beyond, hey, how you doing? Oh, yeah, it really goes. How, how was your week? Oh, it's good, thank you. Yeah, really busy. For some reason, we're all busy. We all say that we are Whoa, really busy. Yeah, oh, so busy. And then, what have you been doing? And then people are like, ah, ah, just busy, busyness. Uh, uh, and then at that point, when, that's how we do conversations, right? The next question is a conversation. But that's the question we never quite get to, right? We're really, really, most of the time in, in our, in, in the sort of the, in the, particularly in the white middle class New Zealand, most of what we do is just walk past people. Or bump into people. But there's something that happens when you ask the next convert, next question. I don't even know what the next question is. But there's the next question. that a, The actual question, other than the ones that you could remember, even if you'd had a massive head injury, you could still say, how are you going? Really good. Oh, how have you been? Busy. Right? You can still do that. You don't even, you only need a very small part of your brain to be able to do that, right? But the next question where you actually think, what's something I could ask this person about who they are, about how they're really going? That next question, that's where actually a conversation begins. And if you have conversations like that, it's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you something. It might even cost you money if you ask someone too many questions. There's a great quote which is in the book. We've got a book that's at the center of our series, which is Who You Are When Nobody's Looking. Uh, by Bill Hybels, and he quotes this guy uh, whose name's Gilbert, uh, and his uh, Gilbert B, we'll call him, uh, and Gilbert says this, true fulfillment never comes through self-gratification. And I don't know, I don't know, I don't know a great deal about society in terms of studying and all that sort of stuff, but I think there's a, there's a deficit of fulfillment within New Zealand society and probably Western culture today. There'd be a deficit of fulfillment which manifests in things like frustration, it manifests in things like anger, it manifests in things like depression and anxiety, and sometimes that's built in a, in a lack of fulfillment, where people ask themselves questions like, oh, what am I even doing this for? What's my job really all about? Oh, what's the point of, of struggling through marriage crisis or all that sort of stuff? And there's a lack of fulfillment, which I think can be based on the fact that, that since the 1950s, we've been sold the ideal that the focus of our life should be to generate enough income that we can pay for the things that we want so that we can either be secure or luxurious depending on how well we do. And somewhere in New Zealand psyche, there's this, this hidden dream which we don't all subscri- ascribe to, but that if we can have enough money to pay off our mortgage before we retire, that'd be awesome, right? And then if, if, if we're going to do really well, we'll have enough money to have a boat and a batch and a BMW as well. So, so Americans have the American dream and the New Zealand dream is somewhat less. If we can have a boat, a batch and a BMW, then, we will, then we'll be happy because somehow that's going to meet needs within us for security and luxury and comfort. But I want to suggest to you that you'll never find fulfillment if you're just gratifying those needs that you have for security, for, for comfort, and for luxury. Jesus said this, and we'll jump to the next screen, the next scripture in Mark 
he says this. He calls the crowd to join the disciples. And he says to this big crowd of people, if any of you want to be my follower, I think this is the worst way to gather followers probably. If any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross. How many people remember, know that, what the cross is? Take, you must give up your own way, take up your own sacrifice and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, the good news, for the sake of the kingdom, then you'll save it. And he, he goes on to say in, the, in, in a couple of chapters later, in the next screen, Mark 10, he says this, among you will be different. So different to how the world works. We work different. Whoever wants to be great or whoever wants to be a leader among us must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life, to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many, right? These are familiar bits of Scripture, right? If we're going to follow Jesus, we need to take up our cross and follow him, right? And if we hold on to our life, we'll lose it. If we lose our life, if we surrender our life for the cause of Christ, then right? Then we find it. Then we find what? Fulfillment. Then we find the life that we were born for. I, I don't know about you. I'm convinced of the fact that most people don't live the life they want to be living. Most people don't. Most people don't live out the call that God's got for them. But as Christians, we have the opportunity to, to live out the plans God's got for us. I said already when we were doing the baby dedications, the three most important things we can learn in life is that God made us, right? That He loves us. And that He's got a plan for us. Do you know the reality is, is if we can't find out a way to live out God's plan for us, we will always be unsatisfied. Not just unsatisfied, we unfulfilled, which is sort of cuts just a little bit deeper than unsatisfied. You can sort of be satisfied with a good meal, but to be fulfilled is that we've fulfilled our potential, that we've fulfilled our destiny. I really believe it. There's destiny. I don't, it's not just, I don't just believe it from the Bible. I believe it just in my, somewhere in my bones. That God places inside each and every person something unique of His nature, of His Spirit. There's something about you that is, doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. It only exists inside you. There's something of God's nature, His character, His wonder, His goodness, His glory, His majesty that lives within you. That's why I love to encourage people. I love to push people to do more, to stretch out, to reach out, because the world doesn't get to be what the world's supposed to be unless you get to be who you're made to be. That for me, that's why I reckon depression and anxiety are one of the biggest robbers of our nation because people are, are locked under even just a mild blanket of blue. Right? But come on, as Christians, this is Resurrection Sunday. What we're celebrating is that God sets us free. And that maybe it's a journey, maybe it's a process, maybe it takes all of our life. But I reckon it'd be better for us to live fighting, pushing, believing that we'll express from inside ourselves the great uniqueness that God's put within us. I reckon. I reckon it's true. I reckon it's true. I reckon there's something incorruptible right in the middle of you that all of the pain and the frustration, the difficulties of life hasn't broken. 
You've buried it deep inside yourself. You've covered it over with different sorts of things. You've pretended to be something else. You've kept it hidden. You've shielded yourself from people so you don't get hurt. But the reality is this morning, the Resurrection Sunday, we could throw off some grave clothes. We could come out from the tomb. We could be the people God's called us to be. Or we could stay locked up in our self-made tombs where we say, I'm going to put myself in a safe place away from all the people who are trying to rob me, hurt me, break me, just, you know, misuse me. I, I reckon that this morning that we could come alive again to the purpose that God's got for us. We could come alive again in His presence and with His power, don't you reckon? Come on, sacrificial love matters. It matters everywhere, right? I've got three, actually, it matters in three key places. If we go to the next slide, thanks, Pete. Okay, maybe I was rushing when I did these slides. This matter where, when? I can't stand behind that statement theologically or linguistically. I'll go back, go back. It's not that bad. <laughs> okay, it says this. Where does it matter? Do you know, a, a marriage without sacrificial love in the middle of it? With both people, right? Both people are sacrificing. Without sacrificial love, you, you can't really have marriage. It doesn't work if... if if you approach marriage, like, oh, I'm going to get married and, 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 and it's going to be great because this person's going to meet my needs, right? How many people know that that's going to be great for about 35 minutes, right? But if you approach marriage and said, we're going to unite together and we are going to help each other fulfill the destiny that God's put inside of us, right? How many people know even... That's different and better. Still hard, right? Still hard, still pressure, right? You still have to work things out. still have to grow together. But if our attitude is, okay, it's not about me, but this is a space where I lay down me and I pick up this idea of sacrificial love and pursue the, the idea of what can I do to make somebody else great to get behind somebody else, then marriage becomes a mutually beneficial space. Not always, Right? Doesn't always work out, marriage, you know, statistically, right? It doesn't always work out. But if we can approach it with that heart, we can definitely have a greater opportunity of creating a space, creating a relationship that's going to do that, right? How many people have got friends? Right? If you don't have, put your hand up now, if you don't have friends, we can find you some. Yeah, Duncan needs friends. Hey, hey, can I introduce my friend Duncan? This is Duncan. Stand up, Duncan. This is Duncan from Palmerston North originally. Duncan needs friends, everybody. And uh, thanks, Duncan. Grab a seat. I'm sure uh, people, if you can apply in writing to Duncan, uh, duncanneedsfriends.com. And uh, <laughs> that'd be awesome. I think we've all got friends. But so often we, the, what we want is we want friends that are like us. So, like, you want friends who sort of earn roughly the same as you and live in the same sort of neighborhood. Maybe if you live in Karori, you could probably handle having friends from Kandala because it's a different sort of suburb, but at least it starts with K, right? Kelvin, Karori, Kandala. But you probably wouldn't go outside the KKK in terms of making friends, right? It's more of a lunchtime joke, not a preaching joke. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not my, it's Raymond, it's Raymond Khan's joke anyway. It's very funny when he does it. Partly because he's Asian, it sort of comes across better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyhow, 
Yeah, yeah. I think if you're white, you can't make as many jokes about white supremacy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyhow. This is waffle. This is what we were talking about earlier. Yeah, sorry. Okay. We, we, want, we want friends like us, right? Because if I have friends like me, then they don't make as much demand on me. Right? If you have friends from different sort of cultures, they, they actually cost more because you have to work harder to understand them. Do you know what I mean? You have to spend more time on it. Uh, if you have friends, you know, the worst thing is you've got friends who've got less money than you. You're like, hey, let's go to the movies. And you, you have to pay for your friend. Oh. You know, this person's really a terrible third wheel in the whole process, you know. And let's go, let's do this. And, and like, you, 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 it's so much easier if everyone can just pay their own way and look after themselves. And then there's no, there's no sort of dependence, interdependency. Uh, and I want to suggest that it's not really friendship. You're just sort of doing yourself next to somebody else doing their self. See, friendship is interdependency. Without that interdependency, it's something different. It's, it's just a person in a crowd. You're, you're just going to the movie. The person next to you is the same as anyone else in the room, right? They paid their ticket. They paid their ticket, right? And you're just all there, right? But the reality is we're, if you have friends like that, if, if too great a percentage of your friendship group are just people who are, just happen to be traveling in the same direction on the motorway that you are, the, the big problem happens when you need help. When you're, the, it's not a problem to you're the person who can't pay, or you're the person who needs help, or you're the person who's sick, or you're the person who's in hospital, or, or, or some other pressure in your life, because you've built friends who don't need you, right? Then when you need them, they're like, oh, no, that's not how it works. Whereas if we build friendships based on how, who, whose life could we be a blessing to? Who could we reach out to? Who could we embrace and bring into our world that's going to enrich us and we can enrich them? Then you have friendship where you can build strength in your life moving forward, right? It really is the basis of all of the relationships that we have. There's got to be some level of self sacrifice. So the question you've got to ask yourself is, why is it so hard? That was a perfect switch, by the way, Pete. Brilliant. Why is it so hard? Why is love so hard? Uh, it's because, number one, we run out. Have you ever run out? Right? I was, I was a primary school teacher, and sometimes you just run out. Right? It's brilliant when you're a primary school teacher, because then you just do silent reading, you know, from Wednesday lunchtime through to the rest of the week. Like when you, when you just run out, and then once you run out, then you are, the net, point number two, then you're empty. There's a logical connection between number one and number two. When you run out, that you're empty, but because we're disciplined and focused, we keep going. Hey, hey, how many mums out there? You run out, but the, the baby wakes up. You have to keep going, don't you? You still have to get up. Write that down. You still have to get up. Right? We, you still have to smile. You come to church and it, you're empty on the inside, but still people are like, hey, how are you going, Jack? Nice to see you. And you just have to say something, right? Right? Or if you're Jack, you've been here since six, setting up all the equipment, right? Not, not today, Jack. I know, thank you, Jack. But I was meaning sort of more generally, but thanks for keeping it accurate. Good. It's good. Thanks a lot, Jack. Thanks. Yeah. The problem with keeping on going when we're empty is that we're empty, how many of you, this, you, maybe it's hard to understand emotionally, but think of your bank account. You know when it's empty and you keep taking money out of it? Right? At some point, it's, money stops coming out. 
Have you ever noticed that moment? Maybe you haven't felt it emotionally, but I'm sure everyone's had the opportunity with your bank account. Once it's in with, once it's in overdraft, it gets to the point where you can you can no longer make withdrawals, and it all just locks up. And that's why it happens for us emotionally. It's because when we give out, you eventually can get empty, but then if you keep going, you get into some sort of emotional, physical deficit or spiritual deficit even, and then you're no longer empty. Now you're this wonderful other thing called angry, right? Obviously not you. I was talking more personally. But I don't know if you've ever been angry. The problem with when once you're angry is that you're always ready to blow up. You really are ready to blow up. Now, you, you might be a man and you might be actually like, angry and I'm punch someone in the nose, right? Or you might be like, more like me. I'm, I'm real angry and I'm ready to blow up. And the way I blow up is I do this. <laughs> right? You might not shout at somebody, but it, something pops on the inside. And I don't know about you, but a lot of people are ready to pop. Literally ready to pop. And you just need to do crap across the middle and traffic, you know. And then at the red lights, they get out with the hammer. Yeah! Right? The reality is people are ready to pop. And it's partly because of this, that we drive ourselves into overdraft emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And then someone says, hey, let's take up our cross and live sacrificial lives like Jesus did. And everyone's like, ah, what a dumb idea. Right? Because you can't do it if you've, got, if you've got nothing to give. You can't give. Right? And the problem is we don't. We often are in this place where we're angry. Then we literally have to become very defensive. We withdraw from relationships. Right? So when we do the 180 for 180 even in church, like, hey, we're going to take 180 seconds and we're going to turn around. For some of us, it becomes 180 seconds of dodging. You know, oh, here comes, here comes Dougal. Okay, I'll, do, I'll need to find. Hey, how you going? Oh, very good, Dougal. Yeah, very good, very good. Yeah. How are you going? Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Oh, what's the next question he's going to ask me? How was work? Oh, busy. It was busy. Oh, really busy. And I, I think of it like this. We, we, do, we start doing relationships in a hazmat suit because we don't trust ourselves. I don't want to pop, right, and embarrass myself. I don't want anyone to really see how I'm feeling the deficit in my life emotionally, spiritually, or physically. And we do it in a hazmat suit, and then we withdraw even further, and we're, do, we're trying to do relationships like through glass with like robotic arms. How you doing? Oh, I'm fine. How's, how's work? Busy. You know, and we have these weird conversations because we've got so much defense. Okay, how do I have a conversation with someone about how I'm going without them ever knowing how I'm going? I mean, that's a weird way to converse with somebody else. I don't know. Can you recognize where you find yourself doing that? I don't know if you can recognize when you see other people doing it. I think we're all pretty good at hiding it. But the reality is we can't talk about living a life of sacrificial love until we talk about how do we fill up the gap that's inside us so that we can actually overflow. Jesus said if we come to him, believe in him, then out of our belly will flow rivers of living water. See, it begins with what Jesus did. It begins with the reality of who he is. Where do you find the fuel to keep parenting your kids? You can't just keep pulling it out of the air, right? Dr. Phil won't help beyond a certain point. Another episode of Oprah won't give you the answer. More Pinterest will not be the solution. You've got to find some. I wasn't pointing at you. I wasn't looking at you, Christine. (laughs) If Pinterest was the solution, it would have worked already, right? It hasn't worked yet. 
But come on, what are we doing? We're looking for solutions sometimes when we need to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you died and rose again. You must have something going on. There must be some sort of power that you can bring into my world, right? Are you doing life in a hazmat suit? Keeping just enough distance and a little pace extra when the pastor comes. How are you going? Good. Oh, how's work? Oh, busy. Busy. How's the family? Yes, everyone's good. Everyone's good. Have you ever had that conversation? How are you going? Oh, good. And then you think, oh, I'm not really. I can remember having a conversation with someone once, a really good friend, and they're like, oh, how's good? Oh, yeah, really good, really good. How have you been? Oh, busy. You know, how's the family? Oh, good. And I was like, oh, actually, Madeline's at home sick. Christine's got a broken arm. Uh, you know, like, how's the family? Well, no, actually, we're really rest. We need some help. Could we? Could you pray? Like, there's a maybe that you know, it's never gonna be that cheesy, right? We're not in the Christian TV show, right? But you know, life's not as cheesy as we make it out. But we could actually just break down one level of protection around the relationships and be and show some vulnerability and allow other people to minister to us. But more importantly, we can allow the Holy Spirit to minister into the emptiness in our world, right? So you got to everyone say when you're empty. Uh, the other day, uh, not the other day, a while ago, I was driving my dad's Volvo. Like he had this terrible Volvo that I, he lent to me. It was very generous of him, but it kept breaking down. No, it didn't. It just had a dodgy gearbox. And if you've had an older Volvo, they always have alarming warning lights on the dashboard. You know, like it's going to blow up in five minutes. Like, blah, blah, blah. red wire, blue wire. No, you're, so you're just driving along. And I was driving back to Corey and then on... On Chater Street, a car breaks down, so I had to pull over, and it was rugby weigh-in day as well, and so Chrissy had to come and pick me up, and then go back and find Elliot, and get down to the club rooms, and then back, and then there was something on at church, and I had to drive the other car into it, and the next morning, I was talking, you know, to Chrissy, and the kids were there eating breakfast, I was talking away about, oh, how are we going to get the car, we're going to have to ring the AA, and I think, have we... So every time I have to ring the AA, I'll have to join up again, because I keep forgetting to keep, just keep it going, I... So, oh, I have to join up again. And anyway, I have to ring the AA to get towed to a mechanic and things like that. And then Madeline, she's a 13-year-old girl at the time. She says this, you haven't just run out of petrol, have you, Dad? I was like, oh, yes, the petrol light has been on for about four, five days. That'll be, that'll be, but, you know, in my defense, there was a lot of other alarming lights on the dash. But one of them was the petrol light, and sometimes it takes a 13-year-old girl to help with those mechanical deficiencies, Right. But the reality is when you run out of petrol, what do you do? Oh, no, you pull over to the side, and then you call the AA, and then you make, you know. No, you just, you just need to fill up. And the reality is this, that we actually, you're actually better at life than you realize. Some of you are actually a high-performance vehicle, but you've run out of petrol, and you think you're useless, and you've parked yourself on the side of the road. You've got nothing to offer anybody else, but the reality is you just need to fill up, Right? So fill up the tank. So spiritually, are you, you have to fill up your spirit, the spiritual tank of your life. You won't fill up your tank on a Sunday, I'm sorry. Really, when you come to church on Sunday, that's, you, you, you'll be giving out as much as you get in, right? Because we're here to worship God and all that sort of stuff, and we connect, and God does things in our world. But you, you really fill up your tank in, in, in day-by-day moments of worship, reflection, and prayer. It probably needs you. You probably need to, to live a life of brimming spiritual power. Do you know what? You, you probably need to sacrifice maybe 10 minutes a day. Isn't it weird? 
It's really hard to find 10 minutes for something critical, something so important to focus our life around Christ. Do you know, if, if, if you've only got time to wake up in the morning and for 10 minutes to think about Jesus, to think about His love, if you can't do 10 minutes, you know what will also work? Five minutes. Do you know, if you haven't got five minutes to set aside for worship and reflection, do you know, you could do three or you could do two minutes. But, the, but if you do it every day, if you think, God, I need you to fill up my spiritual tank, then God fills it up. God works in our world. Come on, you write that down if you know that that's the tank that you need to fill out. Write down, I need to create some space to worship, to open my heart to God for Him to do something in my world. I'm not, I'm not talking about how you live your life. I'm just saying, if you can create some space for God to begin working, then that tank can fill up. That's the most important one, but the other is emotional. When, you, when your emotional tank is empty, I don't know if you know what it's like, but you'll figure it out eventually. Oh, this is what it feels like. The challenge with your emotional tank, when that's empty, you, you, you can't just fill it up. You actually need to rest. You, need to, you actually need to rest. It actually takes a bit of time. You need to rest. And the other thing you need to do is you need to do some recreation. You've got to do something that, that you've got to find something that fills your emotional tank. For me, it's going for a run, going for mountain biking, something like that, that fills my emotional tank, right? Some people like watching movies. I find movies empty by emotional tank because I get a little bit too involved, right? But you have to find the thing that's going to fill your emotional tank. Go get buy a motorbike, ride around the bays, do what you need to do to fill yourself emotionally and physically. Do you know, um, probably, probably every single person in the room, your ability to love people sacrificially is actually compromised by your physical health. Because if, if, if it's like, let's so say you're driving along and someone's pulled over on the side of the road, car's broken down, but you're too tired. That's actually because you're, you're hitting physical limits. Yeah, have you ever been too tired? I mean, last, last Sunday, I got home from, home from church and I'd already said to Austin in the morning, oh, when I get home, after packing out, when I get home, Oh, we'll do something fun. We'll go for a bike ride or go and play soccer, right? But when I got home, do you know, <laughs> there wasn't a single cell in my body that wanted to do anything other than sleeping in the afternoon, right? Right? So, but to love someone, you have to go beyond that. Actually, if you were to get a little bit more sleep, do you know what? You would be able to love people better. You'd actually represent, do you know you'd represent Jesus better in the world if you got half an hour more sleep? It's probably, sometimes we think, oh, if we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to have to take up our cross and follow Him. Do you know what you might need to do? Worship and pray for two minutes a day. Get a little bit more sleep. Eat a little bit better and do some exercise. Then you position yourself to actually love people better. Do you know there's a tension here, isn't there? Do you want to go back to the other one? Thanks, Pete. That was a perfect shift, but I'm just going to stop early because I've gone too long with the waffle. Go back to the previous one, Pete. Uh, can you go back one screen? That's it, beauty. I could have done that. Anyway, there's a tension here to, to be in a position where you can love somebody else sacrificially. You have to look after yourself. Isn't that weird? There's a weird tension. You have to love other people so much that you're prepared to look after yourself 
so that you're in a position to love other people. Don't you like that? And God loved us so much that He died in our place. Sometimes the sacrifices we need to make for others look like because people in my workplace need me to love them, I need to start my day with a quiet time. Because because my family need me to be able to lay down my own wants, needs, and desires to be a blessing to them, I need to look after myself emotionally. So I need to go for a run. I need to go mountain biking so that I can love other people. Because people in my world need Jesus, I need to eat right, sleep more, and do some exercise so that I can physically be in the sort of shape where I can be a blessing to others. If we love, if love is sacrifice, we must have something to give. And you know, the, the issue is this, is that where do you find a source like that? And, and we, we actually find the source of life in Christ. That Jesus' life, His death, and His resurrection is the point at which we find salvation. That's the point at which Jesus worked. You know, in, in, in Christianity, we have the this, this symbol of the cross, right? It's this long bit of wood, and a slightly shorter bit of wood goes that way, right? It's because the, the long bit of wood represents the connection of heaven to earth. And that it's actually our connection with God, this connection with the realities of Jesus, His love pouring into us, His kingdom love pouring into us, where we find forgiveness, where we find freedom, where we find the ability to deal with our emotional baggage. That allows us to be in a position where we can stretch our arms out and relate to other people. Jesus said the greatest command is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love others. The reality is until we have a connection and relationship with God, then we'll never be in a position to love other people. That's, that, that symbol of the cross means so much when you think about it. It's God connects with earth, and then because of His blessing in my life, I can reach out and connect with others as well. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads? We, 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 I'm going to pray, and we're actually going to finish our service um, before we do the Easter egg hunt. We're going to take communion. So let me pray, and then the guys will hand out the communion emblems. Perhaps you're here and maybe you've never taken an opportunity to respond to Jesus, to respond to His love. Maybe in your life there's no sort of vertical connection between heaven and your own heart. You know, Easter time is the season in the year where we as Christians remember Jesus dying in our place, where His life was sacrificed so that we could be set free, so that our sin could be forgiven. And the Bible says when we believe in Jesus, when we open our heart to Him, when we acknowledge Him as our Savior and as our Lord, then our sins are washed away. We're set free from the presence of sin in our life. We're set free from the punishment of sin in our life, and we get to live our life eternally in God's presence. Perhaps you're here and you've never made that decision, or maybe you've made that decision in the past, but for whatever reason, maybe you've walked away from it. This Easter, why don't you recommit and rededicate your life to God? So just as no one's moving around, everyone's got their heads bowed and eyes closed, we're just going to pray in just a second. But before we pray, If that's you, why don't you just shoot your hand up in the air and say, that's me. This morning, I want to commit my life to Jesus. I want to open my heart to Him. If that's you, just shoot your hand up in the air. That's awesome at the back. Thank you, sir. Once I've seen your hand, you can put it back down. There's there's no pressure to respond. This is an opportunity to respond. We say, yeah, I want to open my heart to Jesus. I want to dedicate my life to Him. And I want to choose to follow Him. If that's you, shoot your hand up. I've seen one hand already, but if you want to Join in this prayer as we pray. Just throw your hand up in the air. And once I've seen it, you can put it back down. 
That's awesome. People have had a chance to respond. Let's pray. Is that all right? What, what we do is I like to pray like this. We'll pr- I'll pray a line and then we'll all pray it together. And for those of you making this decision today, if you put your hand up or if you're too scared to, you just need to pray this prayer, believe in it, and God will begin working in your world. Is that all right? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your love. We thank you that Jesus died in our place. Today I ask you, God, to forgive my sins. And today I choose to follow you from today and forever. I ask you to be the Lord of my life and the Savior of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give God a shout of praise. So awesome. If you made that decision today, I saw your hand if you lifted your hand. But if you made the decision, but you were too scared to lift your hand, just come and chat with me afterwards. I'd love to give you a Bible if you need one. love to, to help you in a journey getting to know who Jesus is and the difference that He can make in your life. Is that all right? The guys are just handing around the communion emblems now, uh, a cracker and some juice. And uh, we thought we'd do, we, did have, we had communion together on Good Friday, but I thought it'd be good to do this again this morning as we focus in and remember that it's, it's Jesus' sacrifice for us that is the source of who we are. It's the source of life for us as Christians. Is that all right? And so as the guys are racing around with those, just grab a, 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 a juice, grab a cracker. And these are symbols of, God's, of Jesus' blood that's spilt for us and His body that was broken for us. You know, one of the um, prophetic words in the Bible around about salvation it's probably one of my favorites, and it's, it just says in Isaiah that um, I like the poetry of it. It says, uh, we all as sheep, or we all like sheep, or as sheep, or like sheep, we all, we all like sheep. It's a quite interesting one. Have gone astray. <laughs> Sorry? We all like sheep have gone astray. And uh, when we think of who, who Jesus is, and we think of, the fact that God who created humanity uh, to love and to relate with, and that we as human beings have rebelled against God, that God Himself came in a human form. And that He died, and He suffered and died in our place so that we could find freedom. And, and this morning, as Dougal said, that's what we're celebrating this morning. And if we don't celebrate this morning, we don't really celebrate ever as Christians. That because He rose again, we have freedom. And I don't know about you, but is there somewhere in your life where you really are locked in a tomb? Where is there places in your life that are dark, that are dead, that are hopeless? You know, the reality is, the truth of Scripture is that those are spaces where God loves to work. Those are spaces where God loves to move. You know, Jesus was in the grave three days. And they had a tradition in Jewish culture, three days was important because they believed after three days that, that the spirit of the person had completely left their body. The point of Jesus being in the grave three days was, was to make sure everyone knew that he was dead, dead. Not like dead, but like dead, dead. Don't, if you've seen The Princess Bride, you know there's a big difference between dead and being dead, dead. Mostly dead or all dead. Yeah, but Jesus was all dead. And you know, in your life, there's aspects of your life that are all dead. And 
It's actually Jesus wants to change those things. So often we go, Jesus, I need help with this thing that's sort of dead. I need help with this other thing that's mostly dead. But God wants to come to those areas of your life that are completely broken, completely hopeless, and, and set you free in that space. And the reality of Scripture is that we're all in that place where we need God to set us free. Amen? Let's pray, and then we'll take the, uh, those emblems together. Lord, we just thank you for this morning and all that we're able to celebrate in just one morning. And Lord, we just pray. I pray for everyone that as we receive this cup, Lord God, as we partake of your body, Lord God, the symbols, Lord God, of your blood, the symbol of your body broken, Lord, we remember not just your sacrifice, but also your resurrection life. And Lord, I pray that even as we eat and drink together, Lord, that more than just eating and drinking together, we'd partake together in your life, in your power, and in your love. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, amen. Awesome. What do you eat and drink together? And then we're going to finish with the awesome song of praise. Is that all right? Celebrating who Jesus is. So jump to your feet once you've taken those emblems. And uh, after we finish the song, there's not an Easter bunny, but there is, there is Lucia. Okay, awesome. Very, very good. Let's worship. Let's praise God together. Thanks, team. Awesome.